Happy Friday to each and every last one of you. I hope you have some great things prepared for your weekend. And I hope among those things, you have set aside worship and fellowship and study and prayer and service with your brothers and sisters in Christ at a local congregation. Every Christian needs a home church. And if you don't have one, you need to go out there and find one. And get plugged in, stay plugged in. If you are looking for a place to call your church home and you're within driving distance of the Elkhart East Building, I would like to invite you to come on out and uh, check out uh, our worship service and our Sunday school and uh, Wednesday night and whatever else we might be doing. And uh, maybe you will settle down and be part of our local part of the family of Jesus Christ. I want you to open your Bible to Titus chapter 2. We are going to start at verse number 1 and do a real quick review of the first two verses that we finished on last session. Remember that this letter is being generated by the Apostle Paul as he's somewhere up in Macedonia probably in uh, the later portion of uh, 63, I think, uh, maybe the late summer, maybe into the fall of 63. Uh, he has been released from his uh, Roman detention and is doing this post-imperial review travel. Uh, he's gone over the, to Colossae, I'm sure, uh, and he's gone up to Philippi, which he mentioned in both of those letters uh, that he wanted to do. Uh, and now uh, he seems to be heading westward uh, across Macedonia and plans on wintering at Nicopolis on the west coast of the what we call the Greek Peninsula today. And I believe his intention is to depart from there off to Spain, probably in the spring of 64. And uh, he's writing to Titus, who is on the island of Crete, supposed to be helping churches get settled and strong and have good spiritual leaders in them. Uh, and uh, Paul will eventually get around to telling Titus uh, later, I'm going to send somebody there to kind of take your spot, and I want you to meet me at Nicopolis. And I think the uh, plan was that uh, Titus is going to join him on this next missionary journey that's not uh, recorded in the New Testament, uh, but which seems to be hinted at in some of the early uh, church uh, traditions of history. Paul has already told Titus that he needs to make sure that the elders of the congregation, and he uses the term there as a technical term, those that are the overseers of the congregation, the spiritual leaders, the shepherds, the pastor teachers, if you will, that they are solid because they're the ones that need to be preaching and teaching the word of God uh, to the local congregation. In chapter number two, he kind of zooms out and is thinking 
in more generic terms about the different age groups that are represented in a congregation. And he starts with the older ones, the more mature ones. Uh, he uses the word elder again, but this time it is the more generic term for elder, uh, the idea of someone that's probably in their 50s, 60s, and beyond. Uh, in Jewish society, you were a kid in your uh, first 20 years, uh, and then you were still a young person in your 20s and 30s, uh, but eventually you became an elder, an older person when you hit 50 and beyond. And so I think that's how he's probably thinking about these people uh, using these terms right now. So chapter number two, verses one and two are a repeat, uh, so we'll, we'll just bar barely touch on it. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So Titus himself, who's probably in his later 30s, maybe his early 40s, I'm guessing, uh, his responsibility is to preach and teach and to give healthy doctrine, teaching to these people. And then Paul writes, older men, so I think we're talking about the people 50s, 60s, and beyond, Older men are to be sober-minded, so their heads should be screwed on straight, dignified, they should have a uh, dignified approach to life, they should be respectable in the way they carry out life, self-controlled, certainly by the time you reach that age, especially if you're a Christian, you should be settled down and self-controlled. Sound in faith, so they should be healthy in their Christian life, uh, they should also be healthy in their love life in the sense of loving other people like God loves them, uh, and in steadfastness, sticking with it. The gentlemen in that age group certainly should be living up to that sort of standard. And then he turns his attention to the ladies in that same age group. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. Uh, they should have a godly lifestyle, right? Uh, and they shouldn't be slanderers. Uh, slanderers are those that say things about other people that are out of bounds, not appropriate. Uh, sometimes it might be a lie, which is definitely inappropriate, but it might also be the truth that's just spoken in a way that shouldn't have been done. Uh that's, that's something that older ladies should not be engaged in. Or slaves to much wine, this alcoholism or drug addiction, you don't want to see that uh, in any Christians, let alone in the more mature set. Uh, and then we get to the part that I was saving for today because we ran out of time. They, meaning these older ladies, ladies 50s, 60s, 70s, they are to teach what is good, so they have a role to play. They need to pass on what they know from instruction and from experience. They need to teach what is good, and so train the younger women. And so the younger women in mind here, I think, are in their 20s, 
and their 30s and their 40s. And what is characteristic of those ladies in those three decades? They are probably married because the majority of people in the first century, especially in Christian circles, tended to be married. Uh, that is often the case today, although the number is going down, I believe. But train these younger women to love their husbands. So if they are married, they need to love their husbands, be committed to their husbands, and love their children, because more than likely, just because that's the uh, way things work in this early society, and it's often the case today as well, if they're married, they have kids, and they're raising them. And so they need to love them. They need to be committed to them. Remember, the word love here is about, um, about friendship and family. Uh, agape is definitely still in mind, uh, but philos is the word that gets used. Uh, so f family and friendship uh, level love. Care about them. Uh, make them know that they are loved. Uh, and verse 5, they are to be self-controlled. That's always an important aspect of the Christian lifestyle, regardless of your age. Uh, remember, it's the, it's the wrap-up to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So that's a mature Christian lifestyle that's being described in the fruit of the Spirit. And so here is Paul telling Titus, you need to have the older ladies, the more experienced ladies, the more mature ladies, telling the younger ladies that they need to strive for self-control. They need to strive for the, the climax of the fruit of the Spirit. They need to be pure uh, that is, they need to do the right thing. Uh, they need to stay away from the fringe of Christian lifestyle. Uh, working at home, uh, now in this first century, the norm was typically a one-income household. That is, the husband went out, did the work, brought home the finances, brought home the supplies, and the wife was the one taking care of the kids that are being raised, uh, making sure that they are educated, making sure that uh, they're fed and clothed and, and there's stability there. Now, that has become less and less the norm in our modern society uh, thanks in large part, I think, to some of the materialism that has come into our lives, uh, and also thanks to, uh, I think we could call it generic inflation, where sometimes one income is just not sufficient to make ends meet. Uh, and so uh, some of this may not quite fit with the lifestyles of some of you. Uh, because you are working outside the home as well. And so when you come home, you still have work at home, 
And hopefully your husband, when he comes home, he has work at home that he's taken care of. But in this time period, the advice of the older ladies was basically to the younger ladies, this is how you keep things running well at home. This is how you do this job. This is how you do that job. This is how you do the other job. Showing the shortcuts and all of those sort of things. How to do things efficiently. So that was part of the responsibility of the older, older ladies. Um, and honestly, this is another thing that we have kind of lost in our modern culture. Moms and grandmas were often the ones um, modeling and teaching things to the younger women in their community. But now, sometimes grandmas and even moms are absent from young ladies' lives. Uh, and so uh, ladies in the church are definitely going to be the ones, especially the older ladies that are not actively engaged in raising their own kids or are not engaged in some sort of uh, work outside the home, they're the ones that are available to be teaching some of these skills, some of these bits of advice. And so uh, that's needful in today's society as well. Uh, kind. Kindness needs to be encouraged and sometimes taught, you know, uh, to be thoughtful toward other people. Uh, this is... Um, this is something that I definitely had uh, hammered into me by all of the adults in my life when I was younger uh, to say please and thank you and yes ma'am and no ma'am or yes sir and no sir and may I and all of those sorts of things. And that's just basic respect for other people. That's kindness. And uh, the coarsening of our society is definitely something that must be overcome by previous generations, not just of, of the ladies, not just of the moms and the grandmas, but of the, of the dads and the grandpas uh, in the churches, need to teach the younger ones, just show some human kindness to the people around you. So that's being taught here, uh, according to Paul, through Titus to the people, uh, the ladies uh, at the church uh, there on Crete, uh, and to be submissive to their own husbands. I know that that is a topic that we keep coming up against in Paul's letters during this time period. Uh, it's there in Ephesians, it's there in Colossians, here it is in uh, Titus, just like uh, we saw it in Timothy. Submission is not a dirty word. Submission is about uh, the structure that needs to be in, uh, in any organization when chaos is around it. The military practices this uh, very specifically because the battlefield, uh, war environment, is always chaotic. And so everybody needs to know where they fit in the structure of the mission. And uh, everybody needs to know who gets to call the shot if there's disagreement about doing things. And so in the, in the uh, scripture, in the home, uh, husbands and wives are supposed to be partners. That, I think, is, 
is the core teaching. But in that partnership, it needs to be understood that the husband is the senior partner, the ranking partner, so that if a decision can't be agreed upon between the partners, the husband has to make the decision. And therefore, he is accountable for it. Uh, I've told you husbands this repeatedly. Don't get all full of yourself thinking, I'm in charge. I'm in control. Uh, It's actually quite serious because if you decide to go with your way of doing things and it blows up in your face, that's your fault and you will answer to God for it. You will be accountable to him. If, however, you decide to go with whatever it is your wife recommends and it blows up in your face, that's not her fault. That's on you, dude. You are always accountable to God for everything that goes on in your house, in your family. You are the ranking member of the partnership. And uh, so you, you better think very seriously about every decision that gets to, to be made um, where you uh, are having to, to make the final choice based on uh, competing recommendations. Wives, what's being taught here is submission to that structure and going along with it. Uh, Now, there is a a caveat here. All wives are required to be submissive first to God. He is the higher rank. And so if the husband requires you to violate something God has clearly said to you in his word, you have to say no. It's as simple as that. Uh, Now, there will probably be repercussions. Um, Husbands may actually leave wives over things like that. Uh, But the submission is always to the higher authority first. And God outranks husbands every single time. Uh, So uh, it wraps up at the end of verse 5 with this, that the word of God may not be reviled. So the whole goal in all of this is older ladies teach the younger ladies all these things so that things are done according to God's word, so that things look right and God's word is not mistreated and uh, uh, talked down about. Now, verse number six, we've already talked about the older gentlemen, 50 and above. We've talked about the older ladies, 50 and above. And we've talked about the younger ladies, you know, under 50, raising kids, being married. What about the younger men? What about those that are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s that are the gentlemen within the church? Verse number six is about them. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So we're right back again to the fruit of the Spirit climax, aren't we? Uh, So everything that we've been talking about can kind of be focused right back on those younger men in the congregation as well. They need to uh, do things God's way, and that's what Titus needs to be teaching them. Now, interestingly enough, Titus is in that category. Now, he may not be married. Uh, My suspicion 
is that the protégés of the Apostle Paul, Timothy and Titus, were obedient to his recommendation that they stay fully focused on uh, their work as evangelists, as, as apostolic delegates, and to not get married. That's, that's my opinion. That's my feeling. It may not be correct historically. I don't know. We don't have any testimony in the scripture, and I don't believe we have any reliable testimony in the early church history documents. Uh, but I suspect that they might be single. Uh, but I am positive that they fall into the category of young men between the ages of 20 and 49. As I already told you, I think Titus is likely to be in his upper 30s, maybe his very early 40s. So having mentioned the young men in that age group, Paul then writes this to Titus, verse 7, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. So lead by example to these young men. Show them what a young man of God looks like by your actions and in your teaching. So talk to them about the Word of God. Share with them what you know has been taught to you as important to be taught to them. Show integrity. So integrity is the idea of this internal consistency. It's, it's the idea that everything is as it should be all the way through. So Titus needs to be God's man from the inside out. So show integrity, dignity. We've seen this word several times now. It's the idea of being respectable. Uh, so people should respect you by the way that you act. So that definitely is something that preachers need to have in their life. They need to be respectable in their behavior. And sound speech that cannot be condemned. So here's our word again, sound. It's the idea of being healthy. So that is what Titus needs to be pouring out of himself, is healthy teaching that's not going to be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, the us there, I think, is the larger picture of Christians, but it might be narrowed down to preachers as well, uh, pastor teachers, those in spiritual leadership. Uh, we need to live the right way that matches speaking the right way about God's Word so that the people that see us and hear us know the right thing. Because we don't want to have people talk down about God because of what we've been doing. Uh, one of the things that the prophets critiqued the ancient Israelis about was that they were bringing shameful reproach on God 
from the non-believing nations around them by their behavior, by their misbehavior. So we don't want to see that in the church. Verse number nine, Paul now goes back to the topic that we've seen in many of his letters written uh, during this period of time, uh, the common uh, practice of slavery in the first century world, which is, it's all about economics. People got in debt or situations arose where finances could not be paid in gold and silver and precious uh, uh, stones or other uh, precious objects. And so people's work, their physical work ability, uh, became part of the payment. And so people got into slavery that way. And so slavery was quite common. Don't ever think of it in the association with um, slavery of early America because it's not analogous. It's not the same thing. That was kidnapping and the breeding of an ethnic group as if they were animals. Not appropriate. Verse number nine, Paul says, slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. So if you are one of those slaves in still paying off debt or paying off uh, some sort of cultural indebtedness, uh, then you need to do what your master tells you to do. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. So they do a good job for their master. Uh, remember, in other passages, Paul said, you work for them like you're working for Jesus Christ. Not pilfering. So you don't steal from the master. You work for the master. But showing all good faith, that is trustworthiness, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So whatever you find yourself in situationally, if you work for someone, because that's the close parallel here, then everything you do for that person needs to reflect appropriately upon Jesus Christ and upon God the Father, upon the work of the Holy Spirit, upon the Word of God, upon the church of Jesus Christ. So you work hard, you don't cheat, and you treat everybody the way they're supposed to be treated because that is going to make people think that God has made a difference in your life. And so uh, the, uh, the thing we're going to wrap up today on is no matter who you work for, work for Jesus Christ. Set a good example uh, in that job so that people might see your good works and want to give praise to God the Father in heaven.